Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, I'm your host, Matt, and I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining me is Miguel Torres. Miguel, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your preferred pronouns? Uh, yeah, uh, Miguel Torres. I'm originally from Venezuela. I've been in Chicago for almost 22 years. It'll be next month, 22 years. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Perfect. I asked you here today, uh, and I think you get the honor and distinction of being our first non-Howard Brown employee uh, guests on the show. Um, but I asked you here today because we were talking about uh, the leather community. Um, this is something I have almost no experience with. Like I said, before we started recording, I went to the leather archives a little bit and poked around. Um, but uh, it's a timely episode because IML, as of uh, this recording date, happened last weekend. It's June 1st. So um, leather is kind of on people's minds. I wanted to hear from a leather 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 man is that the correct term yeah yeah we'll try to do leather person leather to be more per- inclusive for all you know thank you that was gonna trans- be my follow-up question yeah. because in researching this i was like do we change you know the term to make it more inclusive that's something i try to do at the beginning of every episode to like what words are we using to address whatever topic we're talking about what's what's the latest way what's our vocabulary so um yeah, I brought you here to talk about uh, the leather community, what a leather person is, a little bit of the history, IML. So we're going to dive into a lot of things. Uh, this is going to be leather 101, so we won't we won't go too deep. But so so leather person is that your full time position? Would you classify it as more of a hobby, or or how did how did this all come about for you? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is a big part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it hasn't always been the case, right? Um, I discover. This whole community, you hear about it in the magazines and, and you know, and porn and things like that. Uh, but uh, I discovered this community uh, just by walking down Michigan Avenue one day. This was in 2010, I believe. And uh, I walked into IML that was happening at the Hilton back then. And I was going to my favorite Irish pub back then, Katie O'Shea was over there. And uh, it was full of leather people from all over. And we were, I was, me and my partner were just like, what is going on? And uh, we hung out and met with a lot of people. We're very intimidated. We, uh, we, uh, we didn't have any sort of um, outfits for that. Um, but then we, that kind of sparked a curiosity in me. And uh, I followed the next year. I, I actually purposely went to the next time out and uh, hang out in the lobby and all that. And over the years of going, then I, I, then I started going into what the competition was about. Mm-hmm. And I started hanging out at the local leather bars and meeting more people and eventually dove in and became Mr. Chicago Leather um, in 2014 and then competing at IML in 2014. That's that's awesome. So it's it kind of was happenstance for you. You just wandered into it. So it, it sounds like leather is mostly a, like a, a social identity, but there's a competition aspect to it as well correct is it i feel this is what's kind of interesting to me because it's social it's a little bit kink it's a little bit competition Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of things uh is it a lot of things to everybody or you know what is what is it what is the most central portion of it yeah what drove me into the company the contest part of it wasn't wasn't the contest itself but it was the idea 
that these representatives uh, can be uh, community organizers. Mm. And that is something that was near and dear to my heart. When I decided to compete, I, I was actually very active with Howard Brown from being a go-go boy under a flow that one year to, uh, to doing lube wrestling in, in for charity um, and uh, um, handing out condoms at the Jazz Fest. And we did a lot of, I was doing a lot of that uh, when somebody approached me uh, to see if I'd be interested in ever running. So uh, um, that, that was part of what drove me. And also it makes me, you know, leather makes me feel sexy. Yeah. Uh, so those two combined was, was really the motivator for me to, to get into, into more into the community, that aspect of the community. Yeah. And I love that concept of leather as uh uh, like a community that can mobilize for for change or for representation of um, the queer identity has has leather always been known for that or um, I, I guess in your eyes why how, how or why did leather come about as such like a, a, a core group in the first place like yeah what, what unifies how yeah. does a fabric unify all these people I guess so yeah I mean the this story goes that leather was uh, it was first formed with those motorcycle clubs of the of the you know the world war years oh, yeah. uh, and, and then the Tom of Finland came about mm -hmm. uh, and had those uh, you know uh, those drawings that became extremely popular in our community and a lot of people follow via catalogs etc mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, as evolving to the Stone, uh, Stonewall riots, et cetera, the leathermen were right next next to the women trans uh, women uh, trans women of color that were uh, leaders in that in, in in those protests against the police brutality, and uh, then the then the HIV years try to really change things up as well and became more of a community as. Uh, we were tired of seeing people die and the government doing nothing, right? And uh, and then the community organized around itself because nobody else would do it. Um, and uh, we created a lot of organizations. Uh, They're still very active to this day um, uh, around the world uh, that took care of each other, took care of our community. And that's what really uh, bonded us together at that point. Gotcha. That's that that makes sense that the HIV crisis was kind of a, a unifying factor for for this um, community. But I'm also interested. Um, I I haven't completed reading the book, but there um, uh, I forget the name of it actually right now. But um, it's kind of just like a, a gay anthology through the years, starting uh, in 1900 all the way up till now. Different gay communities, how they formed, different cities, things like that. Um, and I know uh, around like the 1940s and like the post-war era, there was a lot of laws. Um, prohibiting uh, gay or effeminate people from wearing, like, women's clothing. Um, so I, do you think that, like, the leather community or, like, the, like, hyper-masculine aesthetic was kind of a rebuttal against, like, well, if we can't do this, we'll be as masculine as possible and infuse with the biker gangs and, like, take over that essence of it but also be gay? Like, is that is that uh, a painting with two broader strokes you think like I, I mean i'm sure there is some truth to that um, i'm sure also there is the uh from you know what i've heard from the people in the community that had been in the community for many many years it's also a way of uh gay was always associated with uh people being feminine etc right. and this was a, a way of um you know of, of protest that or or even to to show that uh, or even to protect yourself against right. those discriminations right yeah there's yes. the factor of like you know, effeminate individuals being targeted. So, you know, it's it's easier to, to blend in if, if you're part of the leather community, so to speak. But also, like, I don't know, there's just a lot of, like, factors, I feel like, yeah. early on. In Absolutely. The that would be interesting to dive into. That's probably a whole yeah. different podcast. 
Um, so part of like I, I the leather community, I, when I was visited the leather uh, archives and museum, is like very proudly sexual. A, a large part of it um, is that. How how do you like meld that with like the mobilizing for like community change and like the the community portions of it, like I because I I feel like to people that maybe aren't familiar with it they might look at like the the sexual portion of it and be like well how can you do that but then also like affect meaningful change and like mean you know have these core values and things because some people might assume that uh, you know a a a, a kink uh, could actually create be a force for good you know in this in the same community does that make sense it is all about of uh, fully expressing who you are and who mm-hmm. you want to be without judgment uh, in that there's obviously other big sexual and king component to it which um, I participate as well um, the in so the bars we work really hard to make sure that people can express themselves uh, on any way that they they feel comfortable with that their kings their, their kings are also they can speak freely to it uh, and they can participate and create those spaces where they, also you can explore. Um, when I first joined the community, I, I wasn't a kinky person. I liked how I looked in leather and that's about it. I had never done anything else. And over the years, I've been just exploring from through uh, the local bars and the different events. There's a lot of it, a, a big education component to for you to explore uh, what, whatever it is that, that you're interested in and hopefully find uh, something that you know, it's passionate to you and, yeah. that, and that gets you off. Yeah. I, you, you put that well, uh, because that was a poorly worded question on my <laughs> part. Um, I, I like that concept of like, uh, you know, not just leather, any kink really, uh, you know, pursuing sexual freedom and sexual, um, expression can be a conduit to change in a lot of areas where you're, you're confident in yourself. You're able to, you know, uh, ask for what you want and, 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 show yourself off in a way that you're comfortable with and, and you're proud of. And that sense of confidence can translate into a lot of other areas of life and have that impact can ripple out into other um, areas of the queer identity. I feel like um, maybe that's the wrong way to synthesize that. But I, I think, and, and I know for me, like on a very small scale, every, every gay person has that gay, like awakening or coming out. You're like, Oh wait, this is something I like. And I feel confident in this and that change when you start accepting that, really you carry yourself differently you start feeling differently about yourself and looking at other people differently so i can imagine that that same application also applies when you're finding a, a, a new kink or a new community that you feel comfortable in absolutely that okay. that's exactly it i i i would have never walked in leather on the streets 10 years ago and now every year i watch i march in the parade with over 150 people uh on the kink uh, contingent uh right. that Proudly, and I wear my leathers as well on a day-to-day. Yeah. What would you say to people that don't think, uh, you know, um, kink or subdom or leather or, or bondage or BDSM or whatever shouldn't be allowed at kink or that it should be, or sh- that that shouldn't be allowed at Pride or that it should be family-friendly? What, what would your uh, response I think be? those people should research on how Pride actually started, and the Pride started, it, and it was a riot, and a riot against police brutality and defending ourselves against... Uh, those type of, uh, you know, uh, uh, expression uh, blockers. So, uh, and this is not just a parade of celebration. This is also a reminder of how, uh, where we come from. And uh, kink and Leatherman and, and trans folks were all an integral part of those initial riots. Back when this was not a friendly parade, there were people that didn't bring their kids. 
Uh, and uh, we, sh we are a true reminder that that was the case, and that's where this all came from. Excellently put. I was going to say, I, I knew the answer, and I knew uh, Howard Brown's position on it and things, um, but that's somehow still a debate every year. Yep. Uh, and it's, yeah, it really is worth reminding everybody that pride, we have to be reminded every year of, of where it came from um, and, and how easily those um, freedoms can be taken away, especially in light of recent Supreme Court things, uh, scary political landscapes, um, as as important now as it ever was to, you know, continue to be out there and be proud. And, and what kind of relationships are formed through the, the leather community? Because obviously friendships, um, romantic relationships, is it, I know in, in a broad sense, the queer community it kind of has each other's backs when it comes to like even professional things. Um, have you formed meaningful relationships through the leather community? Oh, many, many, many relationships. I, I have uh, people, um, my husband uh, came from the community. Um, um, I've had other polyam relationships as well from the mm -hmm. community uh, and uh, as well as, you know, what we call my family, my chosen family. Yeah. A lot of it comes from that. So. Um, a lot of the people in the community have been uh, rejected uh, from the blood families, right? And, and so we then become their family. We become family. We create those bonds and relationships. And these are the people that you want to spend Thanksgiving with and Christmas with. And these are the people that, that we always, you know, hold close. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the, the polyamorous relationship aspect of it. Um, I... Uh, came out when I was like 23, I'm 28 now, I had to think about that, uh, and I only moved here last year, and I like came out, and I was living with my parents at the time, and I was living in their basement, so I really had like no like exposure to the queer community or, or like sexual experiences for like four years, and then I moved here, and then immediately started working for Howard Brown, and so like my world was opened to, or my eyes was open to the world to of you know uh, polyamorous relationships and kink and, and and everything, and I've loved learning about it. Um, but I'm always kind of fascinated, and I like to ask people if it's relevant. Um, why do you think like polyamorous or or um, quote unquote non-traditional, I don't like using that word because it's heteronormative. Heteronormative. Thank yes. you. That's a better way to phrase it. Um, why do you think non-heteronormative relationships are more um, prevalent in queer communities than they are in straight ones? Because one, um, we um, creating those spaces where you, you can explore whoever you want to be without judgment. Um, also, we're in, in general, I'm not, I don't want to generalize too much, but in general, uh, we are not tied down by religion. Uh, we are usually um, actually rebels from re religion, which then imposes those uh, heteronormative values uh, of uh, you have to marry the one person for the rest of your life. Um, and, uh, and again, not generalizing that this is my personal experience, that we uh, understand that it is hard and the expectations are too hard for one person to be 100 percent um fulfilling uh, fulfill all yeah. your 100 percent of your needs um and uh once you understand that uh, i mean then you find others uh then uh, things become a lot a lot a lot better as long mm -hmm. as there's proper communication and openness for everyone involved in consent that was very well put like i said i i always like to ask um and get different people's uh thoughts on it because yeah it does make sense that like we've 
uh, already bucked tradition once by coming out of the closet. And then once you do that, the, the next steps to like actually realizing that you can live a fulfilling life, whatever that looks like, uh, those next steps are easier as it goes along. So it makes sense. Really pivoting back towards the competition aspect of the leather community. So how, do, how, do, how does it all work? Is there competitions by cities, by neighborhoods? I know there's internet. That's what IML is, is International mm-hmm. Mr. Leather. I don't know if we even said that initially in the podcast. So that's what that means in case you're curious. Um, how does that all set up? What do they judge on? Is it analogous to like a beauty pageant? Are you offended that I asked that? Oh, I uh, love that you said that. Okay, let's dive into that portion. Uh, I'm really so interested. Uh, first of all, uh, International Mr. Leather star- started as a bar competition in 1979. It was the... The sequel to uh, uh, Mr. Gold Coast contest that would happen in the 70s. Gold Coast was a bar um, uh, owned by Chuck Renslow uh, the, in mm-hmm. Chicago in the Old Town neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, the bar kind of, uh, the, the contest uh, was initially made to attract people to the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it grew uh, way more than the bar could, uh, could accommodate. So it moved to a hotel and changed to International Mr. Leather competition in 1979. And since then, uh, we just celebrated its 44th year. Wow. Um, and uh, it is a you know, competition where people from all over the world can come in and compete. Uh, the requirements are to compete are that you're either sponsored by a club, organization, or, or have won a contest uh, that, you know, that was organized. But you can also be sponsored by a club, by a store, et cetera, mm-hmm. to go directly into IML. In my personal ca- case, uh, I, I, I run for Mr. Chicago Leather Contest uh, that was restarted in 2004. Um, there was a few iterations before that. Um, and um, in, in 2014, organized by Touche, and it's a sponsored and, and by, by Touche, the bar that has been open since 1977. It's still alive in Clark and Devon. And uh, uh, once I won that, then uh, you get to compete on International Mr. Leather, which happens always on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and it's a contest that pretty much starts. Uh, it's an it's an event that surrounds a contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the event is a lot larger than just the contest itself, um, but it, it essentially starts Wednesday and goes all the way till Monday, um, Tuesday morning. Um, starts with a red pre registration of contestants on Wednesday night. It ends up with a big black and blue ball yeah. um, on uh, Monday night, which was amazing. Um, and uh, during the weekend, the, during the week, the, the contest uh, has an interview portion. Um, there's uh, judges from uh, you know, diverse parts of our community. Um, and uh, it has a Pex and Personality Night, uh, which is... Pex and Personality. Yeah, there's a Pex and Personality question uh, where people wearing, the contestants come to, uh, to the stage wearing uh, minimal wear, mm-hmm. and they get to ask a pop question to see how they react and how comfortable they feel yeah. um, giving uh, random questions. You got to have the body and the personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's not just about, it's not about the physique. It's about how comfortable you are wearing minimal wear. Okay, so it's the confidence. It's, it's owning yourself. Correct, correct. I love it's, that aspect of it. Yeah, they're not looking for the most muscular person, the, 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 the tighter person. They're looking for the confidence mm-hmm. and the wittiness and yeah. the funny and how, how you how you express yourself mm-hmm. uh, while wearing almost nothing yeah that it's kind of uh out of pocket but the phrase that entered my mind when you said like the confidence was like uh bde or like big dick energy of like just like <laughs> really owning yourself and yeah. no, what whatever you look like whatever you're expressing or giving that day like it's it's just 
really putting it all out there, yeah. being able to to wear the jacket. So and yeah, and 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 to your point earlier, like the the community has with with the the banner of expressing yourself fully, uh, the community has uh, has uh, uh, in the contest has moved over the years to a more express yourself how you want to be mm -hmm. expressed, how you want to express yourself, which is some people come in in high heels and in, uh, in uh, fabulous corsets and capes and crowns. And, yeah. and it's just, uh, uh, you know, I love how the different identities come through on the contest versus uh, how it started being a masculinity yeah. uh, type contest. And everybody's now just expressing the full self, which is amazing. That was um, something I actually saw on Twitter organically. I think before I had even contacted you that IML had to put something out on Twitter because there were some people were critiquing the fact that trans men were in uh, the competition or uh, as part of the community and, and they were somehow arguing that they shouldn't be allowed in and, and IML came out and was like, nope, not, we're not yeah. having this discussion. Like yeah. trans men are men. And we've had a, uh, we've had trans men win before a few times, mm -hmm. um, IML completely, including the outgoing IML, Jack Thompson, a proud trans man of color. Um, amazing man. Um, I, I, I had the opportunity to be one of his handlers during, uh, during the contest, uh, the last time. Elaborate what that means. Oh yes. Uh, so I, after I competed, I wanted to uh, continue working through IML, so I, I became a contestant handler. A contestant mm -hmm. handler is a group of folks that um, ensure that the, con the contestants have the best possible experience, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that may me mean for them. Mm -hmm. So make sure that uh, they know where to go, at what time to show up, gotcha. uh, what to wear, any questions about the contest, make sure that they look shiny and good uh, as we push them on stage. I would say, do you have to like, because do you have to like, like oil up the leather like take care of it for people or like how does that yes so well i feel like I some mean, of these looks probably take a lot of effort to like get into and get out of abs them. absolutely so yeah this all not happening it's not themselves doing it backstage right. we help them and we enable them gotcha. whatever that may be some people like their leather shiny some people like their leather worn out mm -hmm. to 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 uh to imply yeah. that they they play a lot uh same with their boots we have a a, a fabulous uh team called team shine that uh, handles all the boots throughout the weekend and make sure that the boots look all polished and good. Yeah. And then the handlers uh, dress and undress the contestants and shine and make sure that the tie is correct and uh, the way that they want it to look, mm -hmm. uh, it's the way that they're going to go on stage. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you've worked as uh, in that capacity since I, yeah. uh, 2014. I've done it for four, yeah. Since, I've done it for five years now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 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 That was kind of a tangent. So uh, back to what we were talking <laughs> about before. Um, People of all different identities can get involved with the leather community. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, and if you find someone that tells you otherwise, then come find me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we in a lot of uh, a large group of folks that we uh, fight for for that uh, for 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 people to to be their true selves uh, and make sure that the spaces also reflect that. Right. Well, we're always trying to weed ourselves, uh, weed, weed out the, those people that that. They're yeah. not part of that. I think I think that like statement really gets at like the center of the leather community, from what I can tell. Of that, like I think from the outside, people might see it as like this like really hyper masculine, like exclusive, like you have to conform to this certain standard. Uh, but like you just said, like it's it's more about like embodying yourself and an attitude and a pride uh, and a sense of community. And and judging by those criteria, everybody's. Uh, able to participate and and to kind of um, get involved with the leather community is that a correct assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you um, 
you don't have to uh, wear all kinds of leather to to be in the community either. Uh, we you know we always say the the line that leather's in your heart, right? Like it's more than just wearing the piece uh, and understanding also that. Um, these things are expensive. I already said this, this is why me and many others have uh, boxes of leather at home uh, for people that are interested in, the, in joining the community mm-hmm. and feel self-conscious that, that they don't have the means or anything. Uh, I always tell them, come, come run through the box and see what you can find. And I always have people donate all their stuff uh, just to make sure that people yeah. feel that money is not a barrier of entry to the community. That's so cool that you do that. Um you mentioned something earlier about uh, in order to compete, having to be sponsored by a club or a brand. I'm assuming a brand would be, you know, could be anything that has an association with the queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as clubs, uh, how does a club come about? How do you find a local club if you're interested in mm-hmm. it? Um, how do you get into a club? What could exclude you from being in a club, if anything? Um, how does that whole system work? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are clubs all over the world. Um, the... Uh, um, I, I will say that the easiest way to find out is to, uh, just to go to the local bar and talk to the people that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have club nights. Uh, we have uh, dedicated club nights to different clubs uh, where the, the, the members of their club are there. Um, and there's clubs pretty much for anyone. Uh, and if there's not one club that doesn't fit you, then you can form one uh, and you can help you. Right. That, that, that is uh, that's the spirit of the whole thing is mm-hmm. to. Uh, even within the leather community, which is still a sex segment of uh, the queer community, uh, you can still find things that are specifically um, for, for, for important to you yeah. and, and found bonds with those people. That right. Are, you can make it as specific as, exactly. you, as you want it to be. Is there like an overarching committee or anything that like you are ex- you are able to form a club or like you're accepted? No. Or it's just kind of. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. There, there, there is the. Uh, the old joke of the uh, council of elders. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, that is a, that is a myth, and it's a, something that we just make fun of. Okay, <laughs> so it, it's really just like if you want to go for it. Like, yeah, exactly. Kind of okay, interesting. So, what happens if a club is like not uh, living up to the leather standard? Uh, you know, where there's people in the community that are espousing to be, you know, big members of the leather community, but are being transphobic or you know not not living up to the ideals is there, like well yeah i mean a, a lot of us work really hard and make sure that the communities weeded out of those people and call them out right mm-hmm. so people uh, the newcomers that understand know not to right uh, you know w- what these people are all about we do have unfortunately as you saw on twitter mm-hmm. we still have a lot of people that are transphobic uh in our community um and i i, I would like to talk specifically about the twitter thing that you're talking yeah. about because what you talked about was uh, on IML, we're offering classes as well on oh, kink. Yeah. And there was a class about vaginal sex for gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people took that as conversion therapy, reverse conversion therapy for gays. Oh, um, but, yeah. Like- but th- this was, uh, it, it was a class um, put together by a trans man mm-hmm. uh, for gay men that, that want to play with trans folks that, that have vaginas still, right. uh, in, in they have vaginas that yeah. will... Uh, so for us to be more comfortable on how to handle mm-hmm. them. And uh, so that is the whole debate on Twitter, which I think it's nonsense. Uh, trans men right. or men. Oh, yeah. Okay, that that makes more sense because I had just briefly, I didn't go into any like the replies or anything and I wasn't quite sure. So I, thank you for yeah. laying that out for me. Um, is there... There's a class component you said, is there like a lot of classes involved with like the IML weekend and like, you know... 
is there a edu- educational portion of this? Yes, uh, there is. Uh, there is a wonderful organization called Titans of the Midwest. Uh, they're, they're very present in, in not just the Midwest, but mm-hmm. um, across the country. But um, they are uh, educating. They have a, something called Kink U. Um, and uh, they offer classes uh, for, for and folks that are properly trained to go into the um, regional contest or other events ar- across the country and, and do classes. And, and there's classes from, um, you know, power exchange relationships to kink, specific kinks. Um, and, and, uh, and then you can just attend those classes and learn. Yeah. Um, there is also a, a big, a large event in Cleveland called CLAW. Cleveland Leather Awareness Weekend. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like I heard yeah. about that. Um, and that is an education, mostly an educational event. And uh, in there, you can, it, it's like a university. You can go attend uh, yeah. from 101 to 201 <laughs> to 301 on whatever kink. I have my degree in kink, thanks. That's funny. <laughs> I love that. And I love the push to democratize that information because even in my, like, very white bread literally sometimes um a circle of friends that don't have a lot of experience with kink like just the knowledge of like how to properly choke someone of like we're not trying to press on their windpipe Mm -hmm. you know it's it's the sides of the neck and they're like oh really i didn't know that um you know that information can be really um uh, important and 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 good to know especially if you're doing it improperly you know yeah things like that but um when i'm sorry no keep going um when I was in the, I was in the board of director for Harbor Brown for six years. Oh yeah. When I did that, um, my main focus was to inject um, King component to every event Howard Brown did. Yeah. Uh, so on the on Big Orange Fall, for example, we used to have a kink room, and every year we used to rotate uh, people in the community. So we used to have one puppies one day, yeah. one year. We used to have rubber one year. We used to have leather one year, and it was made for uh, one bring awareness because um, a lot of people have these ideas of what these things are. Uh, they're usually wrong, uh, or you usually see the loudest people, right? The, the, the loudest things. But uh, uh, so I wanted, uh, since this event is a very large, um, uh, you know, you know, large event for mm-hmm. uh, GLBTQ community, um, I wanted to for them to be exposed directly yeah. to what this is, and it has an educational and a fun component to it. On the uh, for. The, for the rubber one, we partnered with the International Mr. Rubber Weekend, which happens here as well mm-hmm. in Chicago uh, in November. And uh, they brought a back bed, which is a, uh, it's one of oh. those beds that you get in and there's two rubber sheets and then they suck all the air out of it. And all you have is a straw to breathe. Uh, it creates a very sensory experience. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning, everybody was afraid of it. And towards the end of the night, there were lines to get in. Um, to go into the to back go into bed. The back bed. That's... I, I love that um, open door policy, I guess, when it comes to this, that like, you know, we want people to experience and see if it's for them. Uh, I have friends that, you know, were, have like brought up like putt play and stuff and mm-hmm. half jokingly, but mostly seriously, like want to get into it. But they're like, I'm worried that if I go to a cell block uh, in, in a putt mask and I realize it's not for me that I'm going to, you know, or, or I end up like taking it off or like I'll do some sort of social faux pas that like, because a lot of those like spaces, especially in bars, if it's not explicitly branded as a educational experience, mm-hmm. people are worried that, you know, they're afraid to take the, the first step into that culture because they're worried they'll offend somebody or do the wrong thing or uh, say something that they didn't realize meant something else. Um, what advice would you give to people that are 
looking to step into something like, you know, pup play or leather, whatever it is, uh, but they're kind of worried about doing it correctly. How do you dive in and, unless you have somebody to like actually educate you? I would say go to the bar, uh, go to the bar. Or if, you know, if bars are not your thing, which happens, um, um, contact your local clubs. Chicago uh, has a, a, a specifically for, for pup pet play, Chicago has a, a Chicago Pet Patrol. So it's, it's also a giant organization that is famous uh, and uh, you can contact them out. You have a website, you can contact them online and, uh, and even just chat and they will add you to the telegram group and you can just ask questions yeah. and then you can have someone just to kind of observe and learn. And then yeah. when you're ready and, to, and, and you can come in and they'll be happy to take you to a bar night and, and have you introduced to people and you learn by experiences, yeah. you, you learn by others. And Subblock is a great bar uh, that has uh, their pop nights, uh, they have bowls for their drinks, so you, you get to drink out of a bowl if you want to, uh -huh. and it's a super fun thing, and I've done that myself. I love that. Um, and, I, and I mean, it's one of those things that I, I guess you have to remind yourself, like, everybody had to do that at one point, meaning, like, everybody had to take the first steps and learn about it some, you know, some way, so everybody's been in your shoes if mm -hmm. you're new to the scene. So um, it's nice to hear that, they're, you know, everybody's willing to extend a hand. Uh, or pause. Most people. Yeah. <laughs> most, most, most people, I guess. Yeah. I could talk about this for a long time, but we're mm -hmm. close to time. My last question is, um, it is international, Mr. Leather, and you say people come from all over the world. Is America, in your experience, in um, comparison with Europe or, or South America, uh, as kinky, equally kinky? Is leather kind of an exclusively American thing? Because like, the biker aesthetic seems very... American has this, you know, rippled out to other countries. Did, did it, it, it started in America, right? It wasn't like the contest started in America, the contest but, did. but there are, there are bars all over the world, okay. uh, leather bars all over the world. And I will say, um, my, my personal experience mm -hmm. and view, uh, the leather community in the U S tends to be a bit more social and a bit more casual. Uh, you go to a, a, a then then for example in Europe and uh, if you go to a leather bar here, people could be wearing bar T-shirts with vests just like I have right now yeah. with jeans and boots. Um, you go to a, a bar night and uh, in Europe, most of most of my experiences have been people wear the entire full leather outfits with yeah, caps and uh, so it, it it feels a little bit more intimidating for someone that has never gone to a bar. Mm -hmm. Uh, even for me, uh, I, um, but, um, but yeah, but, but I mean, once you get to know people, like yeah. people are incredible. I, uh, we had contestants from Australia. We had contestants from, from uh, Venezuela and Colombia in Mex in, well, this year we didn't have Mexico, but, uh, uh, in all over Europe. So, um, you know, it's a very diverse people, they're very diverse group of people and you get to ask questions and talk to them. Yeah. They're, they're just, uh, as friendly, a lot friendlier than they may seem just by that they were wearing. <laughs> yeah, that that was always, has always been my thing. It was just like, I, I love talking with everybody, but the, the leather and like the the exterior, sometimes you can get in your head a little bit and be like, they're, they're intimidating. But it's nice to hear generally across the board that. <laughs> we, we are a big group that loves to hug and sh sing show tunes. So yeah, we're good. I'm down, I'm down for hugs <laughs> and show tunes. I'm down for that. We'll wrap this up with one final question. Yeah. Um, what would you want someone uh, who is unfamiliar with the leather community to know? What's uh, a parting word or uh, something that they can take home from this episode uh, about the leather community? 
we we're a very friendly bunch come to the bar uh get uh get out of your head and and come to the bar and talk to people and realize that the leather community is one of the friendliest group of people you'll ever meet perfect words perfect uh perfect way to round out this episode um thank you so much for your time and for coming we might have to do a part two episode about <laughs> like the origins of leather because there's so many questions i wanted to ask but we just don't have time for so uh thank you for our little uh, leather 101 introduction here thank you thank you for having me and that has been our episode on the queer leather community if you're interested in anything that we talked about on the episode you can visit www.howardbrown.org or see the description of this episode for more information Thanks for listening.